I wonder whose child it was. The child had to be close by, close by enough for Jesus to reach out and, and lift him over the seated listeners into the circle, hold him in his arms as he talks. The child must be somewhat familiar with Jesus too. He doesn't cry or maybe he's a she. We don't know. It's hard to know. Jesus doesn't say the child's name. The child is a mystery in this text, in a, in a sense, a, a passing moment when Jesus looked at his power-infatuated disciples and said, welcome the child. To welcome the child is to welcome me. To welcome the child is to welcome not me, but the one who sent me. The stakes are high then. Who is this child? I found myself in a conversation several years ago that may be familiar to some of you. A person tells me that that her daughter has an almost perfect GPA in college. I never really understand how how people lead with such with a conversation off like that, but but she did, and a perfect GPA in college or close to perfect. And I said, "That's great," out loud. But internally, I was running through my mental inventory of my my children's accomplishments, trying to find that that one that would trump a high GPA. And I landed on it. And this will tell you how long ago it was. I said, well, my son Caleb is going to Japan. And she looked at me for a moment and said, wonderful. A semester abroad, that's wonderful. My daughter's thinking about doing that as well. And I said, no, not a semester. Two semesters. (laughs) Practically a year. He speaks fluent Japanese. So take that. Okay, I didn't say that last bit, but it it was certainly implied. The only thing worse is a bunch of pastors getting together on a Monday morning after the service from the previous day. How was your Sunday? Oh, it was fantastic. We had 427 in worship. Things have been going well. How about you? Wonderful. We had a great day. We had 428. And on it goes. It's been going on a long time. Jesus continues his long walk to Jerusalem in Mark's gospel on the way to the cross. And for the second time now in this gospel reveals to his disciples that what awaits them in Jerusalem is his death and his resurrection. Last week, those of you who were here heard Mary Sellers preach on the first time Jesus made that prediction, made a statement about his death in Mark and the ways Peter misunderstood what the Messiah really looks like in Christ, what Messiah means. Now they revealed their continued misunderstandings, not just Peter, but the rest of the disciples as well. 
There are misunderstandings about what it means to be great when you follow this particular Messiah. On the road, the disciples must seem animated, fingers pointing, voices rising. Later, Jesus will ask them what they were arguing about. But they stay quiet. That's a smart move. I don't know about you, but their silence is at least a sign of some progress to me, a sign that they know that what they were doing in the context of what Jesus was teaching this chasing after greatness is somehow wrong. In the presence of Jesus, hearing him speak of his death, they, they know that they've missed the mark somehow. Let him get a little ahead on the road, out of earshot, and they revert to old habits. But here in his line of sight, the question asked, they are silent. John Calvin said, humility is the only thing that exalts. And that's easy enough to affirm when Jesus is standing nearby, staring us in the face. But when he walks away, when we don't sense his presence, when we're not attuned to his way, well, posturing, gloating, constant going on about how great you are. It reveals not greatness, but fear and deep insecurity, a ravenous and dangerous need. This is a good reason for us to come together and worship regularly, to be regularly regularly immersed in the life of the church. When we are here, we are learning as best we can by God's grace how to be attentive to the presence of Christ, not only here, but out in the world. So that when we go out into that world that is all about greatness and comparative GPAs and power, we might look around for the presence of the Spirit of Christ catching his eye when we are tempted to define ourselves in this way, maybe by catching the eye of a child. We have wonderful children in this congregation. You just saw many of them here. And it's one of the highlights of Sunday for me, and and I have to say this one in particular. When the children come down for the time with the young church, They are filled with wonder. They're loaded with questions. They're ever ready to engage. They are ever ready to leave this gathering and test out their emerging faith in the world. The children of this church are at home here. They know themselves to be children of God. They hear that consistently from so many people who surround them in this place. They know that before they ever called on God, God called them, reached out to them through baptismal waters and claimed them as God's own. When we welcome them in this worship space, when we place them at the center of our lives, we are welcoming the Christ who welcomes all, all. 
So when we feel ourselves engaging in the age-old power games, trying to sort out who is the greatest, we could do worse than simply welcoming the child into the center of our circle, the very sign of the humble kingdom of Christ among us. I do love our children, the children of this church. But I have to say, Jesus did not go to the cross because he talked only about loving children in the church, about welcoming our children. In the time of Jesus, children, as you well know, were considered little little better than property of their parents. They were better seen than, than heard. They were preferably not much seen in the presence of adult men, especially adult men who were engaged in religious uh, conversation. They were very vulnerable. Perhaps some of the most vulnerable members of that first century society. Even the Greek words for little child, paidon, and for servant, pais, have the same root, child and servant. You hear it in Jesus' phrase, whoever wants to be first must be least of all and servant of all. Least of all and servant of all. And then Jesus takes that child and places him in the midst of them and taking him up into his arms. A child in those days, at the center of the circle, amazing. Some of the most vulnerable members of society in the first century and in the 21st century. 12.8 million American children live in poverty. Tennessee has 315,000 of its children living in poverty. A 21% poverty rate among children, ranking us 40th out of the 50 states. And in our own county, the wealthiest county in this state, 5,000 students qualify for free or reduced lunch programs in our public schools. To welcome the vulnerable child will mean more than simply waiting for them to run forward for the children's sermon. It will mean going to where they are, embracing them with help and hope so they too may know themselves beloved and belonging and valued. All of them. Many of you remember a cold Wednesday night in December, several years ago now, when our bus from Room in the Inn arrived and we saw stepping off of that bus in the freezing air a homeless family, young father, young mother, infant baby. It was the last Wednesday night of the year, so it was hot ham and cheese sandwich night. That's how we gauge Wednesday nights around here. what's on the menu. And the father was holding his baby in one arm precariously and trying to fish out sandwiches for his family. 
and someone, one of you, came up to him and offered to hold the baby while he got his food. And throughout the evening, that baby got so much attention, passed around all around Wilson Hall like a found treasure. Mom and dad and baby were embraced, authentically embraced by this community that night. Because it was the last Wednesday Night Live before Christmas, we had set up this stage and we were going to be led in singing Christmas carols uh, by our children. And someone got that baby and took the baby up there onto the stage so that they could also participate. And we sang, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We were singing about another homeless family, mother, father, vulnerable infant, welcomed not in the halls of power, but by shepherds and angel songs. I think the thing that stood out to me that night more than anything was the shock and deep concern all of us in that room that night had for this little family. The sheer danger and vulnerability embodied in these three people and one so helpless and small out on the streets of Nashville in the bitter cold. You have not understood greatness, Jesus says, until you learn what this child has to teach you. This text has also more than a little bit of fear in it. When Jesus is talking about his coming death, it says the disciples don't understand and they were afraid to ask him. When he asked them what they were arguing about on the road, as you heard, they are quiet. But how does Jesus respond? He doesn't scold them. He draws them closer. He sits down in the midst of them in their failure, in their fear. And he teaches them. He welcomes them. And then he welcomes the child into the circle. Who is this child? Jesus places in his midst. I think Jesus looks deeply into his disciples' eyes and longs for them to see what he sees. They are this child. You are the child. I am the child. All of us together in community, we are the child. The humility of this recognition is the doorway into the kingdom this Messiah inaugurates. A kingdom beyond all of that posturing and bombast and one-upmanship and power. A kingdom beyond first and last. Once we see ourselves as God sees us, once we see our our true selves, as God sees us, our arms cannot help but open wide and welcome because we know we welcome none other than Christ himself. May it be so for all of us this day. Amen.